Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So um, I was talking to my wife, we were driving around on, uh, on Friday night and I was telling, uh, we had the kids in the car and I was telling uh, Sarah about the message that I was going to preach today uh, at church. And so she says uh, to me, um, as we're asking, she's asking questions about the text. And as we're having this conversation, uh, we're on our way to Ozkick and the kids are listening into this. So they hear what we're talking about and they say, hey, dad, what are you talking about? What, what's, what's that scripture? What's that passage about? Can you explain it to us? And I thought, I'll try to summarize the passage so you know exactly uh, what it's about. I said, well, I said, kids, how do I explain this? Um, I'm going to say something to you this morning and it's going to sound crazy. Or I said this to them, I'm going to say something to you. It's going to be the same thing for this morning, but... I said this to them, I'm going to say something to you, it's going to sound crazy. But some people, they don't like church. And they were like, what? And I'm like, I know. Not everyone, the entire world, the the global planet, not everyone loves church. And they looked at me and they looked and they said, what? Are you serious? I said, yes. They said, who would not love church? Why would everybody not love church? And I said, well, actually, that's kind of what the Scripture is talking about this morning. I said, you see, uh, kids, sometimes people haven't always had a really good example of what a Christian is. And because Christian people represent God, when they meet Christian people that don't represent God really well, they just figure that He's like them. And because of that, some people think, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near church if it's a group of people like them. And and so I explained this to them, and then they, being little kids, in that moment, instantly recognized how important it is to represent the Father well. You with me this morning? I want to read a scripture to you. Uh, comes out of uh, Philippians and it says, therefore, now the therefore is always there for a reason. You understand that, right? Therefore, everything that just preceded this passage is about living as Christ lived and modeling His humility. And it goes on to say, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I want to preach a message to you this morning, shine like stars, shine like stars. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you, God, that you're here to speak to us today. And Lord, we pray that this morning that we would just have uh, eyes that are open, 
that we want, we want to see as you see. We want to hear as, as, as you speak to us. And so God, as you talk to us through our Word, I pray that the truth of your Word would just begin to resonate in our hearts and our spirits. And Lord, may we, may we be transformed. May we be different when we leave this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever, first of all, who likes exams? All right, there's always a, a couple of weirdos <laughs> that love exams. They didn't put up their hands too high. I'm not going to point them out. But <laughs> most people don't like exams. And <laughs> Have you ever had an exam? where you were studying for it because you knew that there was going to be a lot of information in that exam. And you get into it, you sit down and you begin to flick through the paper as soon as they say you're right to do so. And as you start flicking through, you realize that although you spend hours studying, all the stuff that you studied is not actually in the exam. And you're looking at it and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember talking about that in class or I remember skipping over that part. I only had so much time to study and you studied everything, but you just didn't study the parts that they actually put in the exam. You know, I think the life can be a lot like an exam. And the truth is, you can only prepare so much. You can really only prepare so much for what life throws at you. You can only prepare so much before some mountain of a problem or some roadblock comes and, and, and it starts to sort of stunt your growth or affect your faith in some way. Have you ever had that? Where like you prepared and you studied and you understood stuff, but then real life happened. And, and, and even though you'd studied and you prepared so much, it was maybe a situation that was outside of your control and you sort of just, it starts to affect your faith. It's like for some people, what can begin to affect their faith and maybe it seems like a small thing to you, but you know, they lost their job and they're trying really hard to get a new job and they believe that God is their provider and yet at the same time, there's not a lot of providing that's happening if you get what I mean. Have you ever felt that? It's amazing what can affect people's faith journey. Like I, I know for some people, a roadblock to their faith will just be when a loved one dies. And I say that on good authority because... I would have had countless conversations in my life with people who have lost their faith, who struggle in having a relationship with God. And when we whittle the reasons away and we start to ask, uh, you know, and I start to ask how they came to this place and this point, eventually they say, well, I really have trouble because, you know, one day my, my, my grandmother died. I prayed for God to heal her, but she died. And I've had that very thing, being someone's grandmother or grandfather, grandparent died. I've had that very thing said to me in multiple conversations. And it's enough to just stop people from advancing and moving forwards in their faith because they felt like maybe God didn't answer their prayers. And it affects people. And I feel like sometimes when they say that, like, honestly, I feel like asking, were they old? Because sometimes old people die. And I know that might seem maybe, maybe cold or maybe hard, but hey, come on, it's true. So when the reality hits, maybe we shouldn't be su surprised about it. I mean, no one's going to live forever. But this is one of the things that seems to be a reoccurring issue that pops up in people's lives. I want to give you the heads up this morning. 
Because if you haven't hit a roadblock yet, you will. You can't prepare for every season that is coming for you. All right? You can't prepare for every season that's coming for you. What you can do is you can start to condition and prepare your mind for it. So you don't know every single thing that's going to come for you. You don't know every situation that's going to unfold in your life in great detail. What you do know is that hard things will come and you can start to prepare and condition your mind and your heart and your spirit and your faith for it. So when it happens, you're not caught off guard and you don't sort of worry and freak out about it. Now, Paul, he's writing this letter to the uh, Philippians and I want to explain what's going on here. He's writing this letter from prison. He's not with them. We read that because he says, I'm not with you. I'm absent. And I'm writing to you right now because a situation, a thing that they had uh, maybe talked about, maybe prepared for, but now this roadblock is finally here. This mountain of a problem, this issue that they had thought about, talked about, prepared for, but is now actually finally here, has the possibility of derailing their faith and their relationship with God. Now, I'm going to tell you what it is this morning. And when I say what the issue is, you guys are going to say, that's crazy. Never. All right, you ready for this? They're a church. And I know you think this would never happen, but, but people are fighting in church. Now I know, because you, you would say back to me, that's crazy talk. Fighting in church? Because doesn't Jesus say that we should forgive? And I know, I know, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you. And as crazy as it sounds, people are actually fighting. And so Paul is writing a letter to these guys who have been fighting and he's saying to them, I want you guys to begin to work out your issues because you're sending a message to the culture that's around you. And because wh where they are, all the surrounding cultures are watching how they do life. And they're looking in on how they relate to each other and how they resolve disputes and how they forgive quickly, and really importantly, how they love. And so all the cultures are, are, are looking in on this moment right now, and he's sending a, they're saying, he's saying you're sending a message to the cultures around you. We can't even get along. We already believe all the same stuff, but we can't get along. Parents, I'm talking to you right now. Have you ever decided to leave your kids at home, and you say, Kids, we're leaving the house. I'll be back in an hour. And you give them just a couple instructions. Keep the house clean, keep it tidy. And then you leave and you come back an hour later and you're like, when did World War III break out in our living room? Why is this place such a mess? And I just went into the kitchen and how many dishes did you really use in that time? There are you don't even have that many mouths. Why are there so many glasses out? You guys have made a mess. It's crazy. And I left you for like an hour. Teachers, we've got a lot of teachers here. Teachers, I'm talking to you right now. Have you ever said, all right, I'm going to leave the class for just a minute. I have to just walk down the hall to talk to the principal. Now, when I, when I go, I want you to all behave. It's not that they didn't understand what the request was. 
But you know, like you walk away and you come back five minutes later and you walk in as a chair just was flying across the room. And some kids are mucking around and everyone's out of their seat and nobody is studying, like no one's working. And you're like, I left you for five. Could you not even do this for like five minutes? Man, this is what happens sometimes when the parent is away and things start to get out of control. What happens? Paul writes this letter to the Philippians. He says, Beloved, you've always obeyed. Up to this point, you've always obeyed. You've always done the right thing. You've always followed the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus and all the rest of it. And I, I know I'm not physically and presently there like your dad. I'm not physically and presently there. But can you guys please begin to sort this out? Can you please begin to work this stuff out? It's amazing what halts some people's faith. It's not like the people that he was writing to didn't understand what was required of them. I mean, they understood that it was not a good idea, but they lacked the ability to be able to actually carry it out. It's amazing what roadblocks pop up in people's life. In this case right here, there are relational disputes that are breaking out all over the place. And if you read what commentators say about this passage, they say that people are getting really critical and they're criticizing everyone else. Have you ever met somebody that feels like they just got the gift of criticism? It's like it's a spiritual gift. They just call it truth talking, right? And they say, well, somebody needs to tell the truth. It's actually a critical negative spirit sometimes that just finds what's wrong with every situation and circumstance and they never find what's really good and they just criticize all the negative stuff, the spiritual gift of criticism. Have you ever met somebody with that? Sometimes people, they just want to see the negative side. But I remember Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So when the criticism gets to a point where it starts to bring dissension, eventually you got to pull it back a bit and say, hey, isn't it more important right now that we pursue peace than pursuing what we say is truth, right? Are you with me this morning? See, here's the thing about this. Sometimes what we've been taught, what we've been taught doesn't actually mesh with our circumstances. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you come to church, like honestly, sometimes I feel like this is a fire drill. You know what I mean? It's like we know the process. We know the protocol. How many, seriously, how many hours of preaching and teaching have you sat under? How many hours of podcast messages have you listened to? How many times have you, you know, gone through the motions and and prepared for the day of trouble, prepared for the season when something that was totally unexpected, it began to come your way. And we sit in this and we listen to teaching. We're like, aha, that's what we need to do when things get out of control. We've done the fire evacuation procedures. We've done the drills. We know what to do. We know how to respond. We know what we should do. We know what we should say. But in the heat of battle, in the moment when your emotions get caught up in the situation, there's this inability to take what is theologically true and theoretically true and to practically apply it to our lives. To actually apply it to our situation and our circumstance. And I feel like sometimes we find that we're reading this Bible and we're, we're looking back over it and we're flicking through and trying to find a situation that matches our circumstance. And we're like, all right, so this is what they did. Yeah, forgive. Yeah, get over the issues and Christ has forgiven me. And you start to read through this and you start to work through what the Word of God actually teaches. And you start to think, in isolation, I see how this works. I mean, I understand the principles. It's not like I don't get that you got to forgive. Like, that part I get. 
just doesn't really seem to work for me. It doesn't seem to outwork itself in my life the way that it seems to outwork itself in the Bible. Because sometimes, do you ever read this thing critically? Like, honestly, do you ever really engage with the text rather than skim it and go, really? Really? Like, does it really, does that, is that really going to work in, in my life? I, I don't know. I, mean, I keep coming to messages where pastors keep telling me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The problem is I don't feel like I can do much of anything at all. I feel like I understand what I need to do and I understand theologically what's true. I just don't have the ability to actually see where this meshes with my real life, where it affects my emotional state, where it's deep things going on in my life. And when people get to that point, oftentimes, you know what they say? They say, yeah, I don't know about this stuff anymore. Ah, church is good. Yeah, I guess they teach a lot of good things there. But I don't know, it doesn't really work for me. And if you've never had a situation where a roadblock or a mountain has popped up in your life that's challenged your faith, you must be three. Because of everyone that I know from church and my whole experience as a Christian, everyone has had some challenge or mountainous problem that's popped up and it's made them reconsider what they previously held to be true about the Word of God. And if you haven't had that situation, I always say you're one mountain away from reconsidering your position. And if it hasn't happened yet, oh, well, I just love you, so that's why I'm giving you the heads up. Because eventually something is going to come your way. And I know what Paul would say in that situation. He'd say, hey, listen, you've always obeyed up to that point. You've always been obedient. You've always done it. You've listened to the teachings of Jesus. You understand what he said. You've always done it up to this point. So don't let this situation stop you. Don't let this circumstance derail your faith. Don't let this thing change your character. Don't let this affect your faith. Don't let this stop you right now. I know this is what Paul would say because he actually said it. Why should you let what other people do to you affect the journey that you're on? Why should you let the season or the day of trouble affect your faith and your journey? Why should you allow that stuff a position into your life like that? Listen, don't give up because you don't have all the answers now. How many times do you have a situation pop up in your life and you're fine trying to find a way to explain it to yourself in a way that justifies your circumstance? Only thing is, you've got no idea how you ended up in that position. There's nothing you can find that explains your current circumstances. You've done everything that you needed to do. You followed Jesus. You've done, you ticked all the boxes, showed up to church, even came to the prayer meetings. I mean, you're doing everything right. You just can't explain how your circumstances and situations have unfolded. Well, I want to tell you something today that could be a shock to you. I hope it's not. You may never know. So are you okay with that? Because if you're not, this has the risk, the chance of derailing your faith. Are you okay with not understanding everything? I'm telling you right now, sometimes unfair things are going to happen to you. 
they happen to Jesus, they can happen to you. And it's unfair. And you're going to search for a way to explain it and you're not going to be able to do it. And when you can't explain it, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that circumstance and that situation? Don't let it ruin the journey that you're on. Here's what Paul says. He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, there are two very important words in there that I want to point out to you, both work and salvation. And they have nothing to do with each other. Because here is the gospel message. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's none of you. It's all of Him. God loved you so much that He sent His one, His only Son, and He hung Him on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you never have to pay that penalty. Now you stand in a righteous place with Christ because of what He did. So work has nothing to do with salvation. But in fact, when Paul says that word salvation, what he really means is the outworking of your faith. There is a day where you gave your heart and your life to Jesus if you're sitting here today and you are a Christian and you've said the prayer, if you've confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, you're a Christian and today you made that decision. That was the day of salvation for you. But you understand that there's something that begins to be outworked out of that decision that you made. In other words, what Paul is really saying is he's saying there's a life of faith that's attached to the decision that you made when you received salvation. Paul is saying you're going to have to work it out with fear and trembling. And when I say fear and trembling, here's what I really mean by that. When you begin to outwork a life of faith, please hold God in holy awe and reverence and reverence as you do it. Because otherwise what you'll do is if you don't hold God in holy awe and reverence, you run the risk of taking advantage of God's grace and not really caring about the things that He cares about. So when you begin to work out your salvation, this thing called life and the faith journey that's attached to it, when you begin to work out your salvation, please hold God in holy awe and reverence with fear and trembling so you begin to make the right decisions for your life. In other words, Paul is saying, please be sober-minded. Please be sober-minded and, and can you please get a grip and live out your life. Live out your faith. Live out what, is, what you've practically learned. I want you to live it out in real life. You know why? Because life is often far from ideal. It's often far from ideal. I wonder if Jesus thought the same thing. <laughs> Here's Jesus in heaven the pre-existent God that since before time began has been completely happy and content and lived as God and respected as such. And here He is being God in heaven. And it says that He stepped down from heaven into darkness. He stepped down from heaven into earth. And when, when, when little baby Jesus, when little baby Jesus was born, do you know where He, he was born into? Yeah, a pig trough. And I know he couldn't talk because he's only a little baby. But I wonder if he was old enough to have a conversation with God, whether he would have had a, ah, oh, come on, God, moment. Oh, come on. Pig trough. You could do better than that. Come on, this is not what we talked about. I know I said I love them, and I do, but I just didn't think they'd be so mean. Come on, God. Come on, this is, I know we talked about it. I know we talked about it before, but now I'm practically living it out. And I'll tell you one thing, it's, it's a lot harder to practically live it out than it is to theoretically speak about it. Come on, God. 
Come on, God, this is not fair. This is not what I signed up for. Come on, God, this is not the marriage I wanted. Come on, God, this is not the job I wanted. I know I said I'd serve you. I know I said I'd love you. I know I said I'd do all these things, but come on, God, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Come on, this is, uh, we're, we're like the meatloaf of the Christian world. I would do anything for love, but come on, God, I'm not doing that. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. No, no. You get, are you with me this morning? Come on, oh, God. And you're like in your prayer room, God, I would do anything to serve you. I'm not doing a prayer. I'm not, I'm not doing a chair ministry. I would do anything for love, but I'm not doing that. I would do anything for love, but I'm not going to forgive that person because they, 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 they betrayed me. I would do anything for you, but I'm not going to do that. Why? Because sometimes what we understand to be theologically true, there's a disconnect. There's a line between, between what we hold as truth and how we practically live it out. Because when you get involved in the story, oh, it changes everything, doesn't it? It really does. There's a story about a man named Joseph. And Joseph was betrayed by his brothers and he's betrayed by his boss's wife. And he just went through betrayal after betrayal after betrayal, right? And he came out in the end because he humbled himself and he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus rather than looking at his circumstance and saying, this is unfair. I didn't sign up for this. You showed me the dream, technicolor dream coat and everything. Everyone's meant to bow down to me. And where are the bundles now, God? Where are the bundles now? See, I kind of feel if Joseph had taken his eyes off of God in his circumstances, maybe he wouldn't have become the prime minister in Egypt in the end. Because something happens when you don't focus on all the stuff that is not really what you signed up for. He trudged through betrayal multiple times to come out the other side to live his calling. Why? Because he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. He wasn't focused on all the unfair stuff that happened to him in his life. And now, isn't it true? That all over the world now, people are reading the story of Joseph and drawing strength from it. Why? Because we're all looking in on what he did. It's become an example to us of how we should act and how we should live. So Paul says, work out your salvation. There is a life attached to the decision you make. Yeah? You with me? There is a life attached to the decision that you've made. I know you didn't sign up for a lot of stuff in your life. I know you didn't. There's a lot of stuff that's come against you in your life that's been far from ideal. There's a lot of stuff that you didn't sign up for and it just happened and you're like scrambling to find the answers. I, I understand that. You're gonna have to begin to work out your salvation. Begin to live it out. Don't let what happened begin to stump your journey. Here's something that's really true. And oh boy, you got to listen in for this church, right? You got to lean into this. This is so important. What's eating you has the power to erode your faith. If you read what commentators say about this passage, they, write, they say the reason that Paul used the word salvation is he's saying, your present challenge, if handled incorrectly, can have a profound impact on your salvation life and journey. Do you know one of the things that I have seen 
that really messes Christians up, I mean, really messes people's life up is misplaced entitlement. Are you with me? Misplaced entitlement. In other words, the unexpected, I didn't expect that this should happen to me. I don't deserve this. I didn't deserve to be treated like that. When you get misplaced entitlement, God, I didn't deserve to go through this. Well, something starts to happen in your heart, doesn't it? Where were you? Where were you when all the unfair things were happening to me? That's a misplaced entitlement. Do you remember what Jesus said? Just so we can be really clear, heads up, heads up. This is what he said. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. Do you understand that sometimes persecution is going to come against you? The Bible says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but it says that the weapons will be formed. You understand that, right? You understand that life is not rosy all whom You already know that. I don't need to tell you that. You already know that life isn't rosy all of the time. So you got to know that stuff is coming. You just got to understand how you're preparing for it. Don't have misplaced entitlement because in the moment, if you do, suddenly you'll be offended with God. You'll be offended with people. All kind of issues will be springing up out of your life. It's going to mess up your faith journey. And I, I kind of thought about this and I thought, well, how much, how much authority do you really want to hand over to your emotions? How much authority, how much of your future would you really be prepared to place into the hands of someone else? I thought, no, that's, that's not the life that we're called to live. Life offers practical opportunities to demonstrate what's theologically true. You, know, you, you get me this morning? You have sat in countless sermons and messages and heard how to deal with the issues of life. And when you have an actual practical opportunity to show amazing grace, we even wrote a song about it, amazing grace, suddenly, oh, it's so much more difficult to do it practically. Can I tell you something this morning? There is a greater hope that's in you than what's coming against you. So every time you go through a circumstance that seems unfair and they will happen or a situation that's out of your control and you're on the verge of being disillusioned or frustrated or whatever it is, I want you to remember there is a greater hope that's in you than what's coming against you. And here is the kicker. People are watching how you handle it. People are watching what you do with it. When we were... Um, a few years ago, uh, my family and I, we went on a holiday and we went to Phillip Island and we're standing on the beach. And if you've been to Phillip Island, right down in the middle of Cowes, there's a, like a, a jetty that goes straight out and there's a beach on the right and the left on it. And, and they have this big grass embankment that goes from the beach all the way up to the, to the road. So we're standing down there with our kids and one of my boys, he says, Dad, he says, I need to go to the toilet. I said, all right. I said, well, I looked around and I said, well, I said, hey, buddy, there's some trees up over there. So why don't you just, why don't you just head up over there and, and then come back? And we could see where the trees were. So it's no problem. He says, all right. So he walks up. We're not really paying attention to what's going on. 
And then my wife, she grabs my arm and she says, Ben, just turn around. And I turned around and the entire grass field and the trees were at the edge. And my son had picked the exact center of the grass field or the grassed area, the exact middle of the grassed area and facing the beach. And you know how little kids do it? Pants to their ankles. Facing the beach. Arched forwards. It's just doing a wee. And I looked at it and she goes, oh Ben, look at this. And I turned around and I looked at him and I was thinking to myself, don't you understand that people are watching you? Everybody's looking and you're just on display for the world to see. I'm like, take some cover. So we did, because there are other parents there too. So realizing our son has embarrassed himself, we did what any good parent would do. We said, whose kid is that? Man, they need to get onto that kid. He's really showing off there. Someone needs to do something about that kid. And then we hoped that no one saw him come back to us. So I'm like, don't you know that everyone's watching? This is what Paul's concerned about. (laughs) When he writes to the Philippians, don't you understand that people are watching how you live your life? Don't you, don't you see, aren't you concerned with the fact that everyone can see how you do relationships? Are you concerned with that at all? Because Christians are supposed to be a light in the darkness. And if you throw the towel in and give up every time a situation gets tough and you lose your faith every time a situation pops up that you didn't see, a mountain, a roadblock, something that steers your faith in the wrong direction. I'm sort of thinking, how does that help the world? Because can we come into agreement this morning that the world needs help? And the best way to help it is to set a shining example of how we should live our lives. Here's what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians he wrote, we, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. I don't have the answers. I'm confused about what God is doing in my circumstances, but I'm still not driven to despair. Uh, I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Always carrying in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. That word manifested means to take something and to make it plain and to make it obvious to everyone around you. So in other words, if we carry in our bodies the deaths of Jesus, understanding that the world rejected Him and eventually He was crucified, but because of His crucifixion, we have an everlasting hope that resides within us. That everlasting hope, what's hidden is the death of Jesus. Not everyone sees that, but what they see manifested on the outside in our practical lives is the life of Jesus, the hope that's unfading, the hope that never ends. That's what people get to see. And that's how Paul can be afflicted in every way, but not be crushed. He doesn't need all the answers to continue on in his faith journey. It's not derailing him. 
You understand that? Man, if what you show is the same attitude as everyone in the world, how's that help? There's meant to be something about our lives that stands out, that shines like a light in the darkness, that people look to and they say, that is amazing. I have never seen somebody handle tragedy the way that you just handled it. And it becomes like hope to people who have none. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Let's go skip ahead too, come on. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, it says, For if you, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Man, everyone can do that. Come on. Everyone can love someone that loves them. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And you, when you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Oh my gosh, did you just see that? <laughs> Jesus expects more of us than He does from other people. Wow. Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, there's meant to be something about what Christ modeled that should be reflected in you, that should be so amazing that it stands out and everyone else can see it and they go, Wow. Wow. That's amazing. How you did that. I've never seen anybody handle tragedy the way that you did. I've never seen anyone handle circumstances with such grace and such an incredible heart and attitude. Listen, you can either make excuses or you can make a difference, but you can't do both. get me? You can make excuses or you can make a difference, but you can't do both. So we come to the last verse. And this is what he says. He says, hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, Paul's labor would not be in vain. You know what he's saying? You know, you know Paul's labor being in vain. This is what Paul's labor in vain would be. If he spent countless hours teaching people practically how to respond in a situation and a circumstances. And when the opportunity arises for them to begin to outwork what they practically learned to be theologically true and they mess it up, he says, that is what it's like to have all my work be in vain. You've, you've listened to every podcast and message and video message and conferences and sermons, like seriously, hours of sermons that are teaching you how to respond in a situation and in the heat of battle, in the moment of decision, how are you going to respond? He says, you've got to hold fast to the Word. You know why? <laughs> because this thing, this thing reveals Christ. This thing reveals how amazing He is. It puts Jesus on display for the world to see. And when you read it, it changes you. It transforms you. 
and you become a little bit different. Now stay with me, this is what happens. When you hold fast to the Word and it begins to provoke and evoke change that's in your life, something starts to happen to you. You begin to glow a little brighter. You begin to shine a little bit brighter. And while the rest of the world can fade away into darkness, there's something different about you that people point to and they look to and they see it in you and they say, that, that's amazing. That's amazing. This is what Daniel said. Daniel wrote this scripture that I'm about to show you. This is so cool. He wrote this scripture of the age of resurrection. In other words, he wrote this of the age that we are to live in now. In other words, this is about Christians. Are you ready? He says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Isn't that cool? That we're supposed to shine like stars that lead people to righteousness. Now, how do we do that? Well, I'm so glad that you want to know the answer to that question. Because the part of you, listen up, the part of you that shines, it's your character, not your circumstances. Come on. It's your your character. It's not your resume. It's not the job that you get. That's not what makes you impressive to other people. When the world looks in on what Christian people do, It's not the jobs that they've got that makes them stand out and shine like stars in the sky. That's not the amazing part about Christian people. The amazing part about people who follow Jesus is that they can undergo crazy adversity and hold fast to their hope and they begin to shine. How did you handle that circumstance? How did you manage that situation? Oh my gosh, you were betrayed in every way. And for some reason, you kept your mouth shut. You kept honouring people that were above you. You were passed over for promotion and you should have got it, but it went to the other guy because he was friends with the boss. And oh my gosh, you handled that with incredible grace. Where do you get the ability to do that? You start to shine like stars because you see, if you're like everyone else, you're not pointing anyone anywhere. We're meant to stand out in the right way. So you can spend your life focusing in on the things that didn't go right and the unfair things. And no one's arguing that because today in this room, there are so many unfair things that would have happened to you in your life, things that were out of your control that were out of your hand. You have a greater hope that's in you than anything that's ever come against you. And when you hold on to the Word of life and it begins to shift and change you, you're gonna start to shine. And when you shine through your circumstances, people will see that. They'll be moved by it. They'll be moved by it. We stand together this morning. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.